With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Peck. All right, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. We are 48 hours away from UFC 261. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts right now at my parents' house. But we are making this happen on location. I know the video and the audio quality is not what it typically is in the command center, but you got to do what you got to do, and we're making this happen. And since UFC 261 is going to be headlined by a rematch, we figured this program should also feature a rematch. And for those watching with us live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, feel free to give us your thoughts on the festivities, on who's winning the rounds. And uh, let's go ahead and get into this matchup right now and introduce the combatants first. Sitting in the challenger seat this week, fresh off being in the building for the Jake Paul versus Ben Askren fight card in Atlanta, GA from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, so long as you can guarantee me, Mike, that at the end of this show, even though you're on location as well, we still get a cameo from your son. Like that, need, we still need that <laughs> to happen. We could probably make that happen. He's in his pajamas Perfect. running around somewhere getting ready to eat some dinner. So, uh, But let us introduce the brand new BTL champion in Jacksonville right now. Just got back from the UFC 261 press conference uh, representing the fine folks of the South China Morning Post ahead of the triple header of championship fights. Let us welcome back the champ, Uriah Hall's favorite media member, Drake Riggs. How are you, my friend? Oh man, just like you, just like uh, Jorge Masvidal and Kamaru Usman, another undeserved rematch coming up for you guys right now. But uh, I'm doing okay, Mike. Aside from the exhaustion, no food today, fueled off of pure anxiety and stress. I am happy to be here. Defending champ always defends his belt, no matter when. Send location. We're here. Let's do it. Why haven't you had food? 
Could you not steal any on Is your pirate ship, Jack Sparrow? What the hell? Why haven't you eaten today? <laughs> Things to do, places to be. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so we already get some heat right off the bat. This is great. So let's get right into this thing. We mentioned it during the introduction we, when we introduced Jed, but let us sort of uh, put the event to bed officially. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. We're going to begin there this week. This thing just took on a life of its own before the event even happened this past Saturday. It's become even crazier since Saturday night. But if you're living under a rock, Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren in the first round. The circus came to an end with the big right hand. The referee, I believe, made the right call. And this continues to be a massive, massive story for some reason. So before we get into anything else, Jed, I want to start with you. You were in the building. You have seen the interest firsthand in this fight. You lived it. You were the guy that hated it and then grew to love it. What would you say you learned the most on Saturday or even now since Saturday, what would you say you learned the most about the state of combat sports in regards to the reaction to this fight? <laughs> that is a big question. And that's <laughs> frankly too big a question for the small minds on this show to, to parse into. Uh, I don't know that we learned a ton broadly. Like, honestly, this is, this is what combat sports has been forever. Uh, um, it it's maybe just that Jake Paul is finding uh, not a new or a novel way, but he is leveraging it the most uh, transparently <laughs> that anyone has, at least in recent memory. And it's working out for him because the big thing I learned is that I am absolutely a Triller Fight Club fan. <laughs> like I'm, I'm in. We went on the journey last week where I was very much not in when this was first announced. Again, I blame Stephen Morocco because he is just a fun suck. So I couldn't have fun because we were talking about it while I was with Stephen. Uh, but I slowly warmed to the idea. It kept growing. I kept getting more interested in it. And then last week, I was pumped. I was super excited. Some of that certainly was the fact that I was going to get to go and cover it in my hometown. But it delivered, man. Like, I, I don't, anyone watching at home, if you put aside the idea that they were supposed to be fights happening, obviously that didn't happen a lot. <laughs> the whole event was awesome. And I feel like everybody, everybody agrees, or at least at the time they certainly agreed. And even the people who don't didn't like it or didn't love it, uh, they have to admit that it, it was an experience. It was this kind of communal thing. And that's sort of what we're trying to always get to with events like this, right? Of, of feeling that we were there for, for something at the time it was happening, something that was important in the culture, be it fighting or football or soccer or anything like that. And Saturday night, undeniably, Triller Fight Club was, was a thing that was happening in the culture. And it was, it was fun as hell to be a part of. Uh, looking back on it, it was even more fun than I think I remembered at the time. Like it, cause I'll be honest with you, the event really ran long when, when I was there. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. And looking back, I regret nothing. I cannot wait for them to do another one because the numbers this thing did, they're doing another one. And I hope I, as middle of that show, I, I messaged Brian Tucker, our editor and was like, Hey man, I don't ask for a lot, but whenever Triller does finally do Jake Paul versus Conor McGregor, I have dibs on going to that one because that's just going to be a freaking scene, man. It's going to be awesome. All right, so we 
<laughs> I was waiting for it. All right, so we heard pro Jake Paul versus Ben Askren, pro Triller Fight Club. Drake, you were on the show last week, not fully interested in this. You were way more interested in the Bellator card, the Phil Davis versus Vadim Nemkov fight, which actually turned out to be pretty Best good. Best card of the week. It, it turned out to be a, a, a pretty good card. It turned out to be a pretty good fight. Jed is uh, still, you know, making that face right now. But now Best that you've seen the, the reaction, stretch. <laughs> Drake, now that you've seen the reaction to all of this, and this thing continues to have legs even five days after the card happened, what does that say about the state of combat sports in your mind and the fans and just the overall reaction to this whole thing from start to finish and where we're at right now? I just think it's really telling that this event was apparently important enough to get Jed to shave for it. So that's something that's the positive, I suppose. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of the overall landscape of combat sports and interest and all that stuff, I feel like it didn't tell us a whole lot. Uh, you know, people always like kind of the circus, always the crazy thing. And this, this was probably one of the bigger ones since McGregor Mayweather, obviously. So that always draws eyeballs. And if anything, the fact that Jake Paul won just continues to build the interest. And as we've seen online, the speculation of, oh, my goodness, how how well could this guy do? Like we're seeing people actually give him a chance against people like Daniel Cormier and the like. So I think it just bolsters the fact that maybe people are a lot more interested in this ridiculous celebrity kind of nonsense. And even to look at his brother, Logan, uh, apparently going to fight Floyd now. And I know there was a poll that. I believe somebody somebody did, maybe Mike Coppinger or something, uh, online comparing, asking fans which one are they more excited for, the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight or a legitimate boxing fight, which not a boxing fan, so I don't even remember who it was for, but I know the other guys, obviously. And they were winning at the time. Floyd and Logan were. So, I mean, I don't think that's anything new. And judging by the buys and all that, it, it doesn't tell us a whole lot. I think, if anything, it tells us, at least from the reactions I saw, that the combat sports community doesn't like to have more of a concert going on than fighting. Cause that was maybe there was maybe more of the event than, uh, than actual fighting from what I've heard. And I think Jed even admits that himself. So I think that's probably the takeaway from what I've heard. Come on. Don't act like you didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't watch it. I did not that watch it. Absolutely. Nonsensical. Also <laughs> everyone commenting that I've lost the round. That's cool. <laughs> Like, one, we all know it doesn't matter. And two, you're all just liars because one of these events did 1.4 million pay-per-view buys. Clearly, it was the event of the weekend. And it was a damn good time. I'm not going to apologize for it. Like, that was a good time. And being in there, like, it was a mostly empty arena. And it was still a good time. Like, <laughs> the thing's going to be incredibly fun whenever they get fans, even if, it's going to go bankrupt very soon because there's no way they can keep footing that bill. The pirate. I actually, I actually spoke with Frank Mir yesterday. That interview should be dropping maybe tomorrow at this point because he ta- he does talk a little bit about UFC 261. He has his thoughts on the experience, and uh, I kind of agree with a lot of what he said. So a little teaser right there. But we're going to talk about Jake Paul in a moment. But uh, Drake, let me let me ask you. In the MMA space, I mean, for all of us, this is about Ben Askren. Like, can he get it done? Like, a lot of people thought he was fighting for the sport. He was the representative of mixed martial arts. That anything other than a win for Ben Askren would be an absolute disaster for MMA. Like, those are one of the takes that I heard. And the overall legacy of Ben Askren, 
who was a Hodge Trophy winner, an Olympian, an MMA world champion for one in Bellator, the long list of accolades this guy's put together, like this would be a disaster for him to go up there and get knocked on the first round. So I'm curious in this aftermath, right? Did this loss, the whole thing, the circus, the physique, all of it, did this hurt the overall legacy of, of Ben Askren in your mind? Oh, man, I mean, as much as I love Ben Askren, I feel like it's hard for this not to have, you know, just anything. I think that anything less than a domination or starching was not going to look great for him because he's going against a guy, went against a guy who, yes, very young, has started to actually box, but he's known as this goofy YouTuber, Vine kid, does the silly videos, nonsense, uh, nonsense, tried to rap a little bit, which, you know, that's another thing. Just this incredible, you know, annoying personality out in the media space goes in against this guy who has already fought a basketball player and another youtuber and gets knocked out in the first round what like 70 seconds or something crazy i think it absolutely hurts even though we all knew we all knew he wasn't known for his striking absolutely incredible wrestler still man a true veteran a former champion who was undefeated for 19 fights in mma that is not good. That is not good at all. I think it definitely hurts. Not as much as maybe if he was to, I, I don't know. I was going to say if it was an MMA, but we already saw that pretty much, but it was against the top guy. So maybe if this happened in MMA and he got out wrestled or something, that would be very bad too, but it, it can't not hurt. Like what Nate Robinson was apparently reaching out to him. Like, man, you know, <laughs> they're those guys. Now they're those guys who we lost to Logan Paul. We got knocked out by Logan Paul. Uh, uh, Jake Paul, geez, I'm getting all the Pauls mixed up now. In the first round, like, I think it definitely hurts and it sucks because the end of his career has been exactly how you would not want your career to end, especially after that unbeaten streak that he won, where we all knew him as a guy that was so dominant and good enough to potentially challenge GSP in his prime. That was what many people talked about back in the day. And now that looks just incredibly silly. Jed, what do you think about that and, and the whole legacy thing? Because what I find interesting about this whole thing is that a lot of people talked about, you know, Ben Askren has to go in there and win. Like he has to go in there and represent MMA. Frank Mir goes in and fights Steve Cunningham. And, and let us be 100% clear here. Steve Cunningham, his boxing credentials are like 20,000 marathons longer than Jake Paul's. So Ben, so Frank Mir going in there and going six rounds with a two-time former Cruiserweight world champion and getting the loss, he's been getting praise left and right, and he deserves that. I thought he exceeded expectations. I think you would agree with that as well. But when you look at Ben Askren and the resume and how people view him, and I know you're not a big Ben Askren fan as it is, is his legacy taking a hit from this? Or is there a part of you, because you love this event so much, he was a big part of, the, of making this thing what it was? Uh, so a number of things here. First, uh just to respond to, to, to Drake very briefly, uh, it's not it's not silly in hindsight. It was it was absolutely ludicrous at the time. Anyone who thought Ben Askren had anything for GSB uh, because he very clearly never did. Uh, but back to your question, Mike, uh, I would start by saying what legacy does Ben Askren really have? Like a tremendous legacy in MMA that we we think about. No, like realistically, his legacy is much larger uh, in the world of wrestling. Uh, and I don't think this affects that. But as his overall legacy, 100% it does, because this is the first thing now. 
This is this is number one with the bullet on his uh, probably not in his obituary because you try and be like really nice to people there. But like moving forward, when you're talking about Ben Askren in in columns or whatever, it it won't be former one FC champion Ben Askren. It'll be like dude who got bolted by a YouTuber. <laughs> so yeah, a hundred percent it's bad for his legacy. I don't think he gives a shit though. And in fact, I'm I'm almost dead certain he doesn't because legacy don't pay the bills. But what does pay the bills is, is that check that Triller gave to him on Saturday night. So like I think he he knew that this was a, a risk going in here. Frankly, if you just look at how he looked, he did not look like a man who took this seriously. I think he'd said since that he did take it seriously, but like that's just not true. <laughs> look at his physique. <laughs> he clearly was not in tip top shape for this and if he did like if he really took this seriously then this he is comically bad at boxing because he was extremely bad at boxing that night but he just obviously didn't he went in there for a paycheck whether he overestimated his skills underestimated jake paul or just decided he didn't care at all he was in it for the money none of that was the best ben Askren we could have possibly seen but I don't think it would have mattered. The best Ben Askren still gets knocked out because he's not good at boxing. And as much as people want to hate, Jake Paul at least has a little bit of talent at this. He's never going to be a legitimate great boxer. But he's a good celebrity boxer. He's young. He has power and some sense of this. And he's clearly taking it seriously. So, yeah, definitely negatively impacts Ben Askren's legacy. But Ben Askren does not care at all because he doesn't give a shit about his legacy. He took all that money and he's probably bought – Bitcoin and Dogecoin and seven other different kinds of crypto. And he's going to tweet about it for the next six months and all the money he made by investing in crypto. And you guys are idiots and you got to get on the crypto train and he's going to go throw some Frisbees and call it a day. Last thing on this. And, and by the way, Ben Asker, I think is handling this all very, very well. This is a guy who had major hip surgery in September. So take that as you will. He didn't look. He's never really looked like a like a bodybuilder, or he never looked like ravishing Rick Rude. But yeah, he kind of looked like my uh, my forty two year old brother up on the scale. But that's all right because he probably would beat my forty two year old brother in a fight. But with Jake Paul, Jed, he has clearly found a niche that everybody is somehow fascinated by, whether good or for bad. It's working. He's getting attention. He has ninety five percent of the MMA fighting community calling him out for a fight which he is very aware of, which is why he chose to fight Ben Askren. The fight was not fixed, and anyone who thought like he took a dive is an idiot. But the choosing of opponents, picking Ben Askren, this is like, it's fixing a win for him. He knew what was going to happen in that fight, and it was very smart on him to choose Ben Askren as the opponent because he knew, one, he would build the fight, and two, he would probably win. So be that as it may, Jed, what should be next for Jake Paul? Like, do we throw him Dylan Dennis? You know, make that money, get another win. Do we give him a Tyron Woodley? Do we give him a, a boxer? Like, I know you want to get to Connor, but is it Connor right now? Like, are, have we gotten there, Jed? No. Uh, so I don't think you throw him Dylan Dennis now because Dylan Dennis is the setup fight for Connor. Like, Connor will be in Dylan's corner. Dylan will get colded in a round, and then that sets up the fight. And I don't think Connor is in line to to fight Jake Paul right now. I don't think that's that's doable until middle of next year at the earliest. So Jake Paul is going to want to fight again. 
And who you give him is is a tough one. Like Tyron Woodley would make a lot of sense, but Tyron Woodley is like a much more dangerous opponent than Ben Askren is. Um, so like that's that's really risking risking the biscuit right there. Uh like Jake Paul and Dylan Dennis is a safe fight. Uh at the show, there was a dude on the undercard who is like a millionaire or something and fought the reggaeton dude who Raycon who can't fight for, at all and beat his ass and he's trying to fight jake paul i don't know that that happens but like that wouldn't be awful because jake paul could probably win that fight you just got to give him somebody to spin his wheels doesn't need to be a boxer an mma fighter because those have a much higher likelihood of beating him up and you just gotta bide your time maybe dylan danis if he like if jake paul wants to take half the year off and then fight dylan danis in the fall late fall early or like early winter that timeline makes perfect sense but if he wants to get back in there i don't know i kind of feel like nick diaz beats the hell out of him but nick diaz keeps pretending like he's gonna fight again and nick diaz hasn't fought in like 10 years so maybe that's not the worst matchup for jake paul like i just i don't know who you give him to it's not gonna matter everyone's gonna tune in because he has found the lane of people who want to watch him get knocked out and that's a, a lucrative lane to be in, baby. Drake, do you even care to fantasy matchmake for Jake oh, Paul here? God, or is there somebody no, you want to see if, him? If, if we weren't on a show right now, I just wouldn't even answer this. I, I <laughs> cannot care any less, man. I'm so checked out of this conversation. Uh, boy, like, ideally, I think it would be great to see him against an actual boxer since he is boxing. Uh, and, you know... As Jed pointed out, he said that Jake is taking this seriously. But how can you tell how serious he's taking it when he's not facing actually good, talented boxers? You know very how specifically, boxers face good boxers. None. No three and O boxers ever fought a good boxer. That's not how boxing works. You fight scrubs, and then when you have like ten or twelve wins. You you succeed, and then you fight somebody who might actually be good. Jake Paul's just doing it on a bigger stage and getting more money. Where is your sense of whimsy, Drake Riggs? For a man who looks like a child's character, why do you not have more more fun with sports? I do, just not this. Not this doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I, I don't know if Jake was gonna, if I had to pick somebody for him to fight. I I guess. The Woodley one would be the one. If you want to go by stories and the whimsy, Jed, there's the connection there already. Obviously, the Dylan Dennis one is so easy, but going from Ben to Dylan, that seems just like it may be the same thing, if not a step down, because we know that result's probably going to be the same. But then that ultimately gets him to the Connor fight, as you mentioned. But in terms of immediate story and what seems more likely, I, I guess the Woodley one would be the one. But I... I, I really don't care. <laughs> Dude, the super sad thing is that like would the Woodley fight makes sense and it's definitely a date, like a risk. Jake Paul has like a non-zero chance to win that. Like <laughs> he he can win that fight, which is wow, that is depressing for Tyron Woodley. Uh well listen, I I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about Jake Paul on between the links. I'm hoping this is the last time we talk about Jake Paul for a few months at least, but we're going to move ahead to another big performance from this past Saturday night, one that Drake will probably be much more proud to discuss. Meanwhile, the point 
for round one goes to Gotta give it to Jed Mishu, despite the peeps. Whoa! Wow, new winter music. Fun, I like it. That was a fun sound drop. That was a fun sound drop. Wow, I'm I'm uh, I'm blown away. We're see the budget for the show is increasing. We're, we're seeing this here, and this is a uh, this is this is big news. But let's head uh, let's head to our good friends over at the UFC because. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on the amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. While Jake Paul versus Ben Asker was going down, Robert Whitaker took on Kelvin Gastelum in the main event of UFC Vegas 24, and good old Bobby Knuckles delivered the goods in a big way, a five-round unanimous decision. He swept all three scorecards, but Gastelum was game as hell. This is one of those 50-45s in the scorecard where, where Gastelum was much more competitive than the 50-45 states, but Whitaker was just that damn good on Saturday night. So Drake, will begin with you. This is where your Saturday night was spent. Your reaction to Robert Whitaker's win over Kevin Kelvin Gaslam, his third straight win since dropping the belt. Man, I I cannot say enough good things about Robert Whitaker. Um, you know, this guy, I think already before this fight, on the two wins that he had before that, was looking, you know, better than ever. And I think it was arguable at that point in those two fights going into this one. But now it's undeniable. Like the way that he looked in that fight was just on point with absolutely everything. And it's not that Kelvin came in and just gave it to him because Kelvin came in 
looking for a fight and was there, showed up. I thought he had some moments for sure, but it just was not enough because that's how good Robert Whitaker is now. And he's mixing together his game better than ever. And, you know, that kind of signature head kick that he has that he hides so insanely well behind his punches, it's looking even sharper and, you know, more elusive hidden than it was prior, which it already very much was. But just overall, I think even you look at, everyone talks about the striking, which is where he predominantly beat Kelvin, but even the grappling where you would have thought and I would have hoped that Kelvin would have tried to take that fight there more. Like, I believe he only went for like one takedown in maybe the third round or something like that. But in the moments it did hit the ground, it was from Robert Whitaker and his control and some of the transitions he used, especially in that fifth round. I was like, wow, like it was insane. And yes, that was the fifth round. So Kelvin was a little bit more tired after getting pieced up for most of that. But still, Kelvin's very accomplished and, you know, solid wrestler in his own right, which is why I wish he would have used it more, at least early on. Um, so yeah, man, he looked so incredibly good. And I, I think that if he looks like that and fights that way again, it continues to fight that way and utilize every part of his game. It is a tough, tough fight for Adesanya. More on that in a moment, but uh, Jed, I know on Saturday on the post-fight show, you were uh, pretty much our, our on-site analyst, of, of, you know, because you were at Askren Paul. You gave us the lowdown on everything that happened, things that we saw on television, things that we didn't. You hadn't seen this fight. Have you gone back and watched this performance from good old Bobby Knuckles? And if so, what did you make of it? I have, and uh, my thoughts are basically the same that I said off the cuff Saturday without having seen it. Uh, I mean, tremendous performance from Robert Ritiker. Shout out to him because I think this is, for my money, this is the best run any fighters had after losing a belt. I think the only other person who you could maybe consider uh, would be Frankie Edgar after he lost the lightweight belt, dropped down to featherweight, lost to Aldo, but put together after that Aldo loss, put together like a real run over top top guys usually if a guy loses the belt um you know there's the immediate rematch or, or whatever and then that kind of his career trajectory is just not the same a lot of that just because you lose the belt and you get old Whitaker not the case he lost the belt to a better fighter and he has proved himself to still be a top guy um and like I mean the top guy not a top guy he's the top dude uh he absolutely deserves a title fight I will watch it. It'll be great. High level mixed martial arts. I don't have any belief that he will beat Israel uh, Adesanya because I didn't think he was going to beat him the first time they fought. He super did not do that the first time they fought. I think he can be more competitive, uh, but I don't think he's more competitive because he's grown as a fighter. Or I'm seeing something new. I'm sure that he has grown. Uh, I just don't know that we're seeing any any great leaps from Whitaker here, anything that shows me that he's going to be different. I see that he is just unbelievably good. He's super consistent, super good. I think he did have a bad night against Adesanya. Uh, so if they rematch, he won't just rush in and get lit up like he did. But I don't think he's going to win a protracted stand-up battle with the best striker we've ever seen in the sport. And I don't think he's going to be able or effectively like be able to or successfully wrestle Adesanya. So he's he's stuck in a kickboxing match primarily. 
and he's just going to lose that. He doesn't have any of the attributes that will make him win that fight. And what we've seen trouble Adesanya is big power. Like, that's it. Adesanya shelled up and wouldn't act like act against Yoel Romero. That's why he lost Yoel Romero, the greatest middleweight of all time. Uh, <laughs> and then that's why he lost Jan Blavich. Like, he didn't want to the, – the huge shots coming back at him – He's not afraid of the power, but it does make him act more cautiously. And Whitaker does, is not a soft hitter, but he's not bringing the same artillery. Adesanya is not going to be afraid to open up on him. I just don't see the avenue for Whitaker unless Adesanya has a really bad day. I think that that style just massively favors the champ. But I absolutely want to see that fight again because it's the two best guys in the division that aren't named Yoel Romero fighting. <laughs> I know, you know, we spent a lot of time last week weighing in on how likely it would be with the win for Whitaker to get the rematch with Adesanya. We all sort of understood the Adesanya side, like how could I possibly do it better than I did it the first time, that whole argument. But what Whitaker has done recently, Jed, you made a great point. Losing the title, he's three wins in nine months for a top guy, the number one ranked guy outside of the champion. I mean, wins over Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, and now Kevin Gaslam. Obviously, there's no argument here. He should be fighting for the belt. Jed, you kind of broke down why you don't think the fight will be drastically different. But, Drake, you are our purest panelist after all. Did Whitaker's performance on Saturday make you super interested in the rematch with Adesanya? Like, I know in this sport sometimes, no matter what, you kind of just run into a guy that has your number. But do you look at this potential second fight and think, you know what? I think this could go drastically different than the first fight. Oh, absolutely. I think it has the potential to do so. And especially after seeing the Jan Blahovich fight. And yes, that was up a weight class. But if you look at how Blahovich was able to beat him, particularly in those last two rounds where he was able to take him down, we've seen in the past that Adesanya, that's kind of a good thing to employ on him, push the pace and, Get him down if you possibly can. Go back to the first Marvin Vittori fight, which, you know, Marvin had some success in that area. Not enough to ultimately get him the win on the judges' scorecards, but one judge, and some people do believe he should have, not me, myself. But, you know, I think that that is a good plan of attack. And with the striking skills that Whitaker has had and maybe more patience, as I said last week, that I felt he's shown in the fights prior to this Kelvin Gastelum one, and then just the all-around you know, improvements he has made and showed off in this fight. I think it makes it very interesting. And like I said, if he can mix it up against Adesanya, um, especially after seeing how Blahovich was able to do things and get the win over him, I am very, very excited for it. I just, I would be very surprised if it is the same as the first fight because Whitaker looked like he was overextending himself a little bit in some of those uh, exchanges and obviously got caught by doing that. So, he just looks very different since that fight and in all areas. And with Adesanya, you know, he has that loss. And I don't think he's been exposed by Blahovich, but it definitely helps outline a blueprint a little bit, especially if somebody, let's say Whitaker, can fully draw that out at middleweight specifically. So, yeah, man, I, I wasn't super excited for it before this Kelvin Gastelum fight. I thought it was definitely the fight to make Whitaker deserved it and earned it. But now I'm all in for it. I'm, I'm very hyped for it. Mike, I have to do something that I've never done on this show before. I have to give, give Drake props because Drake, Drake is correct there. He's figured it out. He solved the blueprint to beat 
Israel Adesanya for Robert, Robert Whitaker. And it's for former welterweight Robert Whitaker to balloon up to the size of large, light heavyweight Jan Blahovich, at which point in the fourth and fifth rounds, then he can sit on Izzy for 10 minutes and win. So, yes, I will admit that if he can do that and become 30 pounds heavier before the next fight, my money's on Whitaker all day. Whitaker's, Whitaker has a very good top game, though. I mean, you saw it in the fight on Saturday, Jed. Like, it's. I don't think he did, I mean, though. He gets, I don't think he. He does, <laughs> and he's a really good wrestler. Pan Am champion, or uh, not Pan Am champion, but he qualified for the Pan Ams. Like, Maddie Champ for Australia. Super good wrestler. Jan Blahovich outweighs him by 40 pounds and is a like a very solid wrestler. And it's not like Jan got those takedowns by, by being like super clean on his entries. Like he just manned him up because he's a huge <laughs> dude. Like we so often, it is the weirdest thing to me in this sport that like everybody loses their mind about the advantages fighters get from cutting weight, which are true. But then we just like forget that the true best martial arts style is just being huge. Like if you are just way bigger, that's a way better fighting style than like anything because as dope as Demetrius Johnson is like Chris Dawkins can probably beat his ass because he's enormous. (laughs) That's it. Like Jan Blachowicz is good and huge. And so Whitaker can't replicate what Blachowicz did because he's not huge. He's like, a perfectly adequately sized middleweight. Fair point. Fair point. But listen, that's going to be a great fight. I thought Whitaker looked sensational. A-plus performance. When you get Marvin Vittori to stay quiet and stay with a painstaking look on his face, I mean, he knew in that moment he wasn't getting (laughs) He's still trying. God bless him. You realize what happened. Ah, he's still trying he's still on twitter lobbying for the adesanya fight it's not gonna happen god bless him for trying but uh he's just not gonna get it the fight to make you do him and Derek brunson and we'll see who comes out of that but uh whitaker obviously has earned the rematch i hope we get to see it sometime this year hopefully summer late summer maybe early fall we'll see what happens but uh we're getting ready to move ahead to this saturday's event ufc 261 the point for round two goes to Uriah Hall's favorite media member, Drake Riggs, is on the board. It is one-to-one. Is that a compliment? Did you not watch the media day yesterday, Jen? No. I know that Uriah (laughs) Hall hates people, but I have no idea what this is in reference to. Drake asked the question. Uriah Hall basically stopped the press conference to give praise and props to Drake Riggs' attire and how he presented himself. And said, oh, you're I the know you're right. He hates the media too, so way to go, buddy. Yeah, he loves yeah. Drake. He loves Drake. Said he's the effing man. But he used the that actual a direct word. quote. Yeah. A direct quote. But listen, <laughs> speaking of Uriah Hall, let us talk about UFC 261. This Saturday night in Jacksonville goes down in front of a sold-out crowd at the Five Star Veterans Memorial Arena. Three title fights, including the main event between welterweight champion Kamar Usman. And the BMF champ, Jorge Masvidal. We will start with that fight, Jed Mishu. We've seen this fight before. It was on six days' notice, not just for Masvidal, but for both guys. They now get a full camp to prepare for one another. No 30-pound weight cuts for Masvidal. No excuses for either guy. Usman versus Masvidal, too, coming up on Saturday, Jed. So let me ask you this. 
we saw the sort of fallout. I believe you were on this program one of the many times from their first meeting in July. It was not a fan-friendly affair between these two guys. Mazadal's stock has kind of dropped amongst fans for uh, for a variety of reasons. Usman was able to get a little bit of steam back after the win over Gilbert Burns. Who needs this one more, Usman or Mazadal? I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, it there are layers here, right? I, I think both men need it a lot, and simultaneously they don't need it at all. So for Usman, like if he loses, it's pretty bad for him. Right. Like he, he already beat this guy dominantly. He called out a dude that most people don't think deserves a shot. He's on the precipice of like kind of cementing himself as, you know, the third, maybe second best welterweight of all time, really reasonably the third and kind of locking up a, a lot of things from a legacy standpoint that matter. And a loss here would be pretty cataclysmic for all of that. On the other side of things, the loss here does set up a trilogy, which would be quite lucrative. So he's got that going for him. Uh, for for Masvidal, I think a win here validates his entire career in, in certain respects and is obviously enormous. So whereas a loss, he, he'll never get a title shot again, probably. But at the same time, like a loss doesn't really hurt him because Masvidal has never been a title guy until last year. And even then, it, it, he still sort of existed outside the realm of the belt a la Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. He's his own entity that matters unto himself. He has the BMF title. So it's hard for me to say who who needs this more. I'm just going to side with Usman because Usman Usman has more to lose, so he needs to win more. Whereas if Masteral loses, yeah, it's a bit of a blow in some respects, but he's still making very good money. He still has a rematch with Nate Diaz or – Conor McGregor fight or all these other uh, the Colby Covington fight obviously whereas if Usman loses man that's uh, maybe makes us reconsider his whole career which is not great for a guy that Joe Rogan is desperately trying to anoint as the greatest welterweight of all time because Joe Rogan's an insane person (laughs) all right Drake what do you think who needs this one more we got Kamara Usman who's like Jed said he's he's not at GSP level a lot of people are throwing that out there he's not there yet let's just be perfectly clear he's on the road he's not there yet he's not even in the same you know part of the region of the country yet he's just not gsp is number one and he's going to be there for a little while usman can get there though if he loses mazadal said i'll give you the i'll give you the rematch but if mazadal loses as long as usman's the champion he ain't getting another title shot and he's been very clear that even though it's all about a lot it's it's a lot about money for mazadal He wants his title. The title means a lot to him. So who needs this one more? Kamar Usman or Jorge Mazadal on Saturday night? I feel like it is definitely Usman here. And maybe not as extreme or as much as Jed said it was because I think that considering that he already beat Mazadal pretty clearly, it wouldn't hurt as much. And then, you know, Probably the trilogy fight could be a thing the UFC could do right, maybe right after or at some point there's that. So the fact that Usman would lose his title and he's already beaten pretty much most people in the division. He's running into rematches now with this one, which wasn't even deserved, but like Leon Colby, which is presumably going to be next, according to Dana. Uh, Gilbert Burns is still floating around the top. Like it would put him in a very, very odd spot, assuming Let's say he didn't get that trilogy fight that would possibly come after. And Masvidal just an hour ago did say that he would be 
fine with giving him the trilogy fight right after if Masvidal was to win. Um, as for Masvidal, man, like, yeah, he can. Sure, I'm sure he wants to be the actual champion more than just the BMF champion, but he is still the BMF champion. He brought the belt to the press conference just now. Like, that is a thing that if one of one happened at one time, no one could take it away from him. That's still an easy selling point. And the UFC is using that as a selling point. Like, I feel like he's reached a point where it doesn't really hurt him. He'll still get big fights, be in a great financial position, create buzz. The fans love him still. Um, it, in terms of yeah, positioning just in the grand scheme of things, it feels like there's a lot more to lose for Usman, who, despite him getting better and better with seemingly each fight and raising his stock and uh, spot in you know history as one of the greatest welterweights, like people prefer these other personalities, it seems right now. And somebody like Masvidal, who has plenty of other matchups. You, know, you mentioned the Diaz rematch there. Uh, you know, the Colby fight still floating around. Even the Leon Edwards one, which people forget about the three-piece Minnesota, was an incident that happened. Like, there are some big possibilities for Masvidal, despite Kamaru Usman and being there. And if he loses to him twice, then yeah, he he's out of that. But it's similar to Connor, I think. Not to the same degree, but that feels like the same spot Masvidal's in, I would say. It, you know, similar, not the exact same, but I think it's definitely more on Usman in this case. Just looking at the comments, it is clear that Drake Riggs is the Daniel Bryan of Between the Links. I mean, the the, the <laughs> amount of fans, that? the amount of is fans who come along for them? the ride. <laughs> you guys have the same answer. You're both saying yeah, Usman, but everyone's like Drake. Drake's we right here. <laughs> I love okay, it though. So- I love. I love it. <laughs> This is great. This is a role I thrive in. I'm, this is where I want to be. You love the heel role. You love being that. And, uh, and you play it so well. But to, to kind of build off that, because some of the other comments outside of everyone saying Drake was right and that they agree with Drake <laughs> is that there are people who think this fight sucks. They think the main event is awful and it shouldn't happen. We talked about the narratives. We talked about the quote-unquote ex- excuses about the short time the big weight cuts, the empty arena, UFC 251, Abu Dhabi, all that stuff. Those are off the table here, Drake. So with that being said, do you see a way this fight goes any differently than the first one did Saturday night? I mean, outside of another flying knee or something crazy like that, I just I just can't, man. Like The first fight, yes, it was on short notice for both guys. The whole narrative about that is about Masvidal, but... They both had the equal amount of time to prepare for each other. And I remember, I'm pretty sure that Masvidal said he was, has been training for, you know, Usman anyway, leading up to that fight. So if you want to believe him there, it's like, you know, he was aware and preparing for Usman despite that, but they both had equal time and they both have equal time now, which is more time. So considering how the first fight went and seeing what Usman has done since then, well, Masvidal hasn't done anything fighting wise. Uh, in the in the cage, I, I see no reason for this not to go the same way, if not better, for Usman, who looked incredible against Burns, despite you know taking some damage in the first round and showing that yeah he could be hit, which is a thing to where you look at okay Masvidal if he lands something, which he did land a little bit in that first round, and I believe maybe at least one judge gave him the first round, like that was obviously the most competitive round of that fight. Um, if he approaches things similarly, which Usman very well could, then yeah, there's definitely a possibility in that first round. But man, just looking at how he adapted, how Usman adapted in that Burns fight 
and how Usman did against Masvidal the first time, I don't see why it should be any different when we haven't, we don't know what to expect from Masvidal, I guess. But just from what we've seen, I think it'll be the same, if not worse, for Masvidal. What do you think, Jed? Can this fight go any differently than the first fight? So if you go back to, I don't know, any of my various appearances on this show or other programming on our website, you're going to see me uh, just bag on this fight a lot. And much like with Triller Fight Club, I've had a change of heart as as the event has gotten closer. So I'm going to blow your mind here, Mike. <laughs> because not only do I think it can happen, I am going to pick Jorge Masvidal to knock out Kamara Usman on Saturday night. And here's why. It's not because I buy the I wasn't training thing. I think that's a garbage argument. It seemed pretty obvious that Masvidal had been training. Maybe he wasn't like full camp mode, but he was not just like on a yacht throwing back Mai Tais or tequila. He's a tequila guy, I forgot. I think he was prepared. But I think there is a big difference between you know being sort of prepared and getting the call. You got seven days to fight. And I think that some of that weighed in on his head. So you go back and rewatch that fight. And Masvidal had a good first round. I scored it for him. I know I think two judges scored it for Usman, and that's fine as well. But if you look at that first round, what you're going to see is, is Masvidal fights like he doesn't fight. Like he has not and never really has been a dude who comes out and just tries to get you. Like that's never been his game outside of the flying knee on Askren, which was like a pre-drilled planned attack because Askren always ducks his head immediately. Masvidal, he's a technician. Like we use the word journeyman a lot in MMA and like Masvidal is all the best parts of that. He's a dude who has a tremendous amount of skill. He's a really good striker with layers and depth to his game. And he lets fights come to him. In fact, that was like the big knock on him before this run is he lost a lot of garbage split decisions because he wouldn't press the action. He didn't go for the kill enough. And I think we just saw that dial get ramped too high against Usman. He thought, I'm going to come. I'm going to bolt this dude early. He shot his wad and then he got tired. Usman took over with clinching, wrestling, the jab, body work. Full credit to Usman. But I think we've got a couple of different things. One, Masvidal knows now that he can't really spark Usman in one. Like that's he had a chance, he didn't do it. He's going to come in a little more patient. Two, Usman is thirty-three, going on fifty. It seems like like uh, this could just be some residuals of me thinking Gilbert Burns sucks because I'm never going to not think Gilbert Burns isn't a bad welterweight. But Gilbert Burns damn near got the goose in one round against Usman. Two and a half months ago, like that wasn't a long time ago for Usman to recover from getting concussed by a lightweight. Like that just happened. Masvidal hits as hard as, as Burns. He's a better technical striker. We saw in the first fight, Masvidal really does have the ability to stop most of Usman's takedowns. He can't stop them all, but the issue that got him was, was getting backed up to the fence not being able to circle. And largely, I attribute that to, to shooting his wad early. I think we're going to see a more measured Jorge Masvidal. I think Usman has lost a step. Dude already has shot knees. He's just coming off getting jacked up by a, a lightweight, like I said. I think we're going to see it. It's I've, I've come full circle. Jorge Masvidal is going to come in. It's, he's going to take his time. He's going to pick Usman apart. Usman's not going to be able to rely on the jab as heavily because Masvidal's a much better defensive fighter than Gilbert Burns is. And he's going to get the damn thing done. 
Jorge Masvidal and new on Saturday. Wow. No air horn for that? I know, that's trash. <laughs> Casey's far too affected by the haters in the comments. The sleep wow. at the wheel. Wow. Going with the big dog move. All right. Last thing on this, and then we'll move on to the deep cuts and the other title fights. Clearly, Jed, Masvidal is the bigger draw. He's the bigger star. This is undebatable. Usman is not close from a money-drawing standpoint. I'm not trying to be a jerk. He just isn't. Math does not lie. But I will say this. The UFC, ESPN, the broadcast partners, they are doing everything they can in this build to get Usman's name out there. Big shows. He's the ESPN cover story right now. The promotion is trying to get him over. So I guess my question is, Jed, is it enough? Like, if he goes out there and he beats Mazadal, if he stops Mazadal, if he Bobby Knuckles Jorge Mazadal on Saturday, can he get that rub? Can Usman get that next step, get to that next level? You just made an even more compelling argument for my argument that I made. Because every time the UFC tries to go big and build somebody, it blows up in their friggin' faces. Remember when Cain Velasquez was the dude and they put him on ABC and then JBS sparked him in like four seconds and Dana just cried about Cain didn't follow the gameplay. It should have been shooting. <laughs> That's it's you just made a great argument, even on top of all the brilliant arguments I just made about why it's gonna happen. To answer your question though, no, they can't fix this because star power is one of those things. You got it or you don't. Usman is gonna he is not a, a terrible star. He's a great dude. He's a good champion. And he's around long enough that he can build a following. It's never going to be – he's never going to get that osmosis, you know, oh, I knocked out Nate Diaz. Now I'm super important. Or, oh, I beat Ben Askren. Same thing. Or Conor McGregor's, oh, I choked out uh, – or uh, Nate Diaz is, oh, I choked out Conor. Now I'm a big star. He doesn't have that that it factor inherently you have to have the star power to get the boost from somebody else. And he just doesn't have it. And that's not a knock on him. Most people don't like take Drake Griggs. He doesn't have it. So even though he beat me last week, nobody cared about him. He doesn't get the rub from me because he, he just doesn't have it inside. And that's not his fault. Mike, we can't blame him. <laughs> what kind of sound effect are we going to get? All right, Drake, your, your chance to respond here. One, can Usman get the uh, proverbial rub, as the pro wrestling fans say, if he goes out there? I mean, a win is probably not going to do it, but if he goes out there and dominates Mazadal or stops him or does what Whitaker did on Saturday night, can he get to that next level? And two, just your response overall to everything Jed had to say. <laughs> well, the people have spoken, man. I, I think I'm pretty clearly the man of the people over here, and that's why I'm a defending champion defending my throne right now. But... um. You know, as for uh, Mesvidal and Usman, I I don't know. I don't I don't think so. No matter how he wins, because we already saw this. He already beat him one time very clearly on Fight Island with the first show for Fight Island. Yeah, not so much time to build that fight that time, but still that card did very good numbers and he did very well in that fight. I feel like Usman is just stuck as one of those guys who just for some reason people will not latch on to him as a very big star. And that kind of happens to some of these super duper talented guys who are for the most part, pretty, you know, have pretty pure, I guess, mentalities, uh, except for when Usman is calling for, you know, making this rematch happen because he wants to shut up Masvidal for the most part. Um, so just in that kind of position, 
no matter how good he is or how he wins, unless he really changes things and goes the Henry Cejudo route, then I don't know if it's going to happen. But will he do that? If he hasn't done it now, I do not think he's going to start after a, another potential domination over Usman, uh, over Masvidal, I mean. But even then, that might he might just be a guy where people would like him even less if he did that. And I guess that's kind of what happened with Cejudo. But I don't know. I'm just Unfortunately, I feel like he's just going to be stuck at kind of maybe around the same, floating around the same stardom that he, uh, that he possibly can be. So we'll see, I guess. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm in agreement with both of you, honestly, because, I mean, if if he didn't get the rub from stopping Colby, I don't think it's ever going to happen at this point. Like, I don't know what to it is. It, there wasn't ahead. like a great stoppage. Like, if he had sparked Colby, he might have gotten a little more. But, yeah, it's not going to happen. Kamar Usman is not cool, and that's the problem. Like, he's, I mean, look, like, again, super great dude and a great fighter, but only dorks say stuff like I'm better than everybody because my mind is stronger than everybody else. Like that's not something cool people say. And so you're just like, that's your mic time. My mind is strong. Like, okay, that's probably accurate. but like, That's just not a thing. Cool people say. I actually thought he did pretty good at the press conference today. And maybe I, I, I kind of like the, I chose the only reason you're here is because I chose you. I, I, I kind of dug that line. That was a good little heel line by, by Mr. Usman, obviously a pro. I assume Drake. It, it sounded to me. I was watching it on the MMA fighting stream. This is a pro Mazadal crowd for that oh, press yeah. conference. Oh, very much so. It was. It was completely one sided. Um, yeah, very, very heavily in favor of Masvidal, and it definitely helps when he sticks around afterwards to take pictures with a very long line of people. So that was socially distanced, mind you. So we hopefully safe in that regard. But. Uh, yeah, it, it was one-way traffic in terms of who the fans wanted in, in that. I am shocked wow. that Kamar Usman is not the favorite in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy, right? Say. Oh, man. Maybe he's a seasoned Jags ticket holder. Who knows? But listen, it's a... Nobody's a seasoned Jags ticket holder. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I know. But listen, it is... I, I didn't have an issue with this fight being made to begin with. I thought it made perfect sense because we don't have a number like a, like I like the Colby idea. He's Colby gets either of those two guys makes all the sense in the world, but we don't have like a clear cut number one guy. I think Usu was smart calling out Mazadal. We're gonna get the fight by the time we get to Saturday. Everyone's gonna be jazzed about it, and then we'll see what happens. Maybe Usman just. Maybe the fight just lets everybody down again. But everyone's done a pretty good job selling it so far. I'm ready for it. I'm also ready to talk about the rest of the card on Saturday. The point for round three goes to... I'm going with the peeps. Drake Riggs is up two to one. And Jed can't believe it. This is unbelievable. But we already know what's going to happen. So... I mean, honestly, no, no one's getting upset. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, Trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 
200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Listen, we talked about the main event. The main event is interesting, but we still get two other title fights on Saturday. We got Zhang Wei Li versus Rose Namajunas for the strawweight title. Things have gotten uh, a little interesting between these two ladies. Got a little political on the road to the fight. We got Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade for the women's flyweight title. Both are interesting matchups. A lot of people feel like each champion, in a way, is taking on their toughest challenger that they can face right now. Whether that's true or not, we will see on Saturday. But, Drake, we'll begin with you. Of these two title fights, which one interests you more and why? Is it Zhang Li versus Rose or Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade and why? Uh, I, I can't. Can't help but go with the strawway title fight. And that's nothing against the Andrade versus Shevchenko matchup because I do like that one, you know, a decent amount more probably than some of the other flyway title fights we've gotten recently from Valentina. But you just look at the fact that we haven't had Whaley defending her title over a full year in a fight that was one of the greatest fights we've ever seen. Having waited that long, that alone makes it the fight where, oh man, she's back. The, the, the girl that just defended her title against Joanna, the former go to this, well, still the go to this division, former champion. Like, that's excitement enough, I think, for people. But taking on Rose, who is another former champion and the one who knocked out, you know, the aforementioned Joanna, this matchup is just something we've been anticipating for far longer than we should have now. And stylistically, they both match up tremendously. They've been in so many good fights and just putting them together and just getting this one finally is a lot better, I think, than... Yes, it's a big deal for Jessica Andrade, former champion of strawweight, going up to flyweight, looking to become you know a double champ, not at the same time as you know holding the strawweight title. But if she beats Valentina Shevchenko, which would also be an incredible upset you know, on top of that, um, unfortunately, it just is not as likely to be as crazy and awesome of a fight. I think that's just undeniable. When you look at that fight, Andrade versus Shevchenko, it just reminds me, I see similarities to Joanna versus Andrade, which that didn't go very good for Andrade, especially considering the game plan she kind of sounds like she is leaning towards, which is very similar to <laughs> the approach she had for Joanna. So against Valentina, I just do not think that's going to work and she'll be able to replicate that pretty well. As for Whaley versus Rose, though, I think they're equal in a whole lot of areas except for strength and power in favor of Whaley. So I expect that to be the X factor. But man, that that fight can just really go in a whole lot more places than I think everybody expects Valentina versus Andrade to. Jed, we've obviously you've been on the show like 20 times. So it has come up a few times that you can kind of judge how big a fight is when outsiders or casuals will hit you up and ask you about a certain fight. I feel like for me, a lot of people are asking me about John Wei Lee versus Rose Namajunas. And I got fans who watched the Ioana fight 
with, with Zhang Weili. They loved it. And they actually think they're going on a limb and say this one could be even better than Zhang Weili versus Yuani and Jacek. So I have a feeling you're going with that compared to the other fight because Valentin is that dominant. But, I mean, do you have an argument the other way at all? You couldn't be more wrong, Mike. I'm definitely going the other way. I got a couple of arguments why. One, because I'm not a coward. I'm not going to take the low-hanging fruit like my opponent <laughs> just did. Obviously, the easy one is the one that's not the minus 700 favorite. But, again, I'm not a coward. So here's the reason why, because I actually believe most of these. I'm not just saying them. First off, I have no qualms <laughs> with, with Wiley Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. That's an awesome fight. And let's just take a minute to appreciate that the four women fighting in the title fights on this card are numbers two through five in the UFC's female pound for pound rankings behind only Amanda Nunes. Like that's not a thing that ever happens. So that's awesome. We're getting four of the five best women in the world fighting against each other. That's tremendous. But I'm, I am certainly more interested in Shevchenko for a number of reasons. And it's not just that I've been driving the Shevchenko fan club bullet train since day one, which I have. I have the receipts. <laughs> but so first, I would have been way cooler with the Wiley Zhang Rose Namahunas until Rose decided to start talking about some stuff that she probably shouldn't talk about in general because she's super not all that knowledgeable about it. But now it's created this really awful political dynamic. And the first fight back with fans in Jacksonville, I feel like that's going to be the worst walk to the cage and fan audience in over, well, certainly over a year because we haven't had one, but there's just going to be a lot of USA chants that I'm not really vibing uh, about this because I don't agree with what Rose said. So that's a point against that one. Second point against that one, I actually think this fight is fairly straightforward for me to, to view. Like, Rose has great footwork and can work at range, but we saw her struggle mightily with Jessica Andrade, basically just because Andrade was like, nah, I'm good, and walks through her shots and just started leveling her. KO'd her with one of the dopest KOs of all time the first time and should have gotten a draw in the rematch, and if that was five rounds, that would have been uh, an Andrade fight almost all the way. So Wiley Zhang, we should not forget that Wiley won the title by just Meeting Jessica Andrade, one of the most physically imposing fighters in the world, especially for <laughs> friggin' strawweights, just met her in the center of the cage and out, out muscled her. It was just like, I am harder than you. And so that just seems like a bad recipe for Rose. So I think the fight's going to look a lot like Andrade Namahunas, too, um, only it might start going against Namahunas earlier. And so that's awesome. I'm super psyched to watch that fight. I just think I know what's going to happen. With Shevchenko Andrade, one, I think that that is like Andrade's a former champion. This is awesome. There are so few challengers for Shevchenko that have even a possibility of beating her that that makes it. Shevchenko is, for my money, the best fighter in the world right now. When you when you take it as uh, her level of skill versus her contemporaries, I think that she is head and shoulders above everybody uh, else competing in her weight class. Uh, and I think that, that that gap's bigger than anywhere now that Habib's retired officially, officially. Plus, like, I could just see a world where Andrade gets it done, where she just does the same thing of, like, I I know that Chevchenko's really good and really technical. I'm just, I just don't care. I'm going to walk her down and land the big shot. 
everybody lost their damn minds at Shevchenko's last fight because Jennifer Meyer was able to hold on to her for like a hot minute. And Andrade can at least do that better. So to me, I'm, I'm honestly like legitimately more interested in the Shevchenko fight for a number of reasons. I can't quibble with the argument that like maybe the better in cage fight, certainly from a fan perspective, because let's not pretend that Shevchenko is everybody's cup of tea. Uh, it is the, the co-main event. But when you add up all the factors, like if I could only pick one, I think I'm taking Shevchenko and Drudge. I dig it. And, of course, the rest of the card is interesting as well. The main card is really good. We get some fun prelim fights. Jed, this is not the deep cut question. We will get there. But what's the biggest storyline heading into Saturday outside of the title fights, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, it's generous when you say that the rest of this card is good because it is not. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the main card prelim- I said is pretty good. Oh, oh, the rest of the main card. I misheard you. I was going to say the early prelims have nobody that has a Wikipedia page, which is always spectacular. <laughs> uh, I think for me, kind of the other storyline that, that would jump out here is, is your eye hall Chris Weidman because – Middleweight is pretty open. Like we talked earlier about Bobby Knuckles, and he's probably next in line. And Marvin Vittori and Brunson are hanging around. But if Weidman gets a win, there's a world where he can snake his way into a title shot because he's a former champion with a couple of wins under his belt. And Uriah Hall just knocked out Anderson Silva. I don't think that counts for much um, in, in the year of our Lord 2021, but other people sure do. And if he can – also knock out Chris Weidman. Not a lot of people have knocked out both of those two men. Uh, and so that that's a feather in his cap. And maybe, maybe with the win here, Uriah Hall can finally like show the promise that Dana White gave him all those years ago. I don't think he can, but it's possible. Maybe it's not too late for him. Drake, what's your biggest storyline outside of the title fights heading into Saturday? Uh, it's tough man because i feel like there just isn't that much story outside of the title fights these three all have so much you know kind of drama a little bit around the outside of the fighting side of it but then actually for the fights themselves uh i like what jed is saying about um you know hall and weidman too but i don't know i i just don't feel it quite the same in terms of the energy or just when you look at the division where you know, we got Brunson, Vittori, Whitaker, all above these guys. Um, so I think they will have to wait. Even for the winner, we'll be very close no matter what. But I, I guess if I had to pick, I, th- I think that is, that's a good choice. But I'll go with Anthony Smith versus Jimmy Crute, actually, which opens up the main card. Uh, you know, Jimmy Crute getting the biggest fight of his career, biggest opportunity where he's taken on the number six ranked Anthony Smith, who... Man, I did not realize that Anthony Smith has been in seven straight main events. This is the this is breaking that until now. So taking on Jimmy Smith, uh, not Jim, Jimmy Smith, Jimmy Crute, who uh, is <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. Could you imagine? All right. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's another Devin Clark type of matchup where Anthony Smith obviously, you know, he got the brakes beat off of him against Glover, and then. Rackage didn't really beat him up as badly, but very dominant, clear victory. Uh, one-way traffic in that one as well. Then he rebounds in the first round against Devin Clark, which was kind of a, not a gimme fight necessarily, but clearly a step down from the guys that he was fighting prior to that and as being a title contender fighting John Jones and Gustafsson and what have you. Uh, now again, Jimmy Crute, who similar, but a, a guy who is 
more capable of making waves, I think. We've seen less from him than Clark, for example, to compare those two. Uh, and just another Australian guy, and at light heavyweight, you know, we don't see too many of them that have made an impact. And Jimmy Crute, man, like, that was my biggest takeaway yesterday at the media day, was seeing him in person. Like, he is huge for light heavyweight. Like, I was like, damn, this guy, he could he could be at heavyweight one day. Uh, still very young, very talented guy. It's a big opportunity than him. And he's like taking really no-nonsense no kind of approach to this fight and seems not offended by Anthony Smith kind of saying that he's fought, you know, I've probably fought 10 Jimmy Cruz in my career. I've had so much more experience than him. But you know, Jimmy seems a little bit, more motivated because that chip on his shoulder, I guess that's a good way to put it. And he understands this moment. So I think it could be a big deal, especially when you want to consider just that area that he is from, you know, being down there. Uh, and when we have champions like Volkanovsky and Adesanya, if Jimmy crew goes out there, launches his way up the rankings, then you have another potential star in another division to where, you know, you got this growing market with all these champions already. Maybe this guy can fit in there. So for me, I'll go with the light heavyweights on this card. I refuse to believe I think- that a man who got Peruvian necktied in a legitimate mixed martial arts contest is good. I just refuse. <laughs> it's like getting Owen St. Prue choked. Like you're bad when that happens. <laughs> That's just it. Uh, it's funny. It's it's funny you mention that. That makes it line, even more Jen. fun. It's funny you mentioned that line, Jed, because that line was part of an epic all-time great pitch for a fight, a diamond in the rough fight for last week. You went with Alexander Romanoff versus Juan Espino, which was a fine fight. It was it was a well, lot of fun. Especially the first, Let's not the first, so. That fight was an absolute banger. For five awesome. for like six minutes, maybe it was an absolute banger. But it was a fun <laughs> ass six minutes. Until, until the trash in, that fight was awesome. Fight was dope. Yes, it came back to life around the halfway point. But listen, that was an all-time great pitch. What you got for us this week? What's the the needle in the haystack? What's the diamond in the rough for Saturday? But the problem is there's there's it's hard. Like this one is hard to see a diamond in the rough because the prelims really are barren. Like there's the early prelims have three fighters from uh from China who have all competed in some organization called Wulin Fang, and I've not seen them fight at all. So it's tough for me to like confidently say, yeah, they, these are the bangers to go to. And like the fight that jumps the most out to me is what will undeniably be awesome uh, and probably weird. And maybe something dumb will happen because Alex Oliveira has a lot of dumb things happen in his fights is, is the Alex Oliveira Randy Brown fight. Cause both of those two dudes know how to get weird with it. Uh, and it's it's certainly going to be exciting. I just don't know if it's a low key banger because it is the you know the prelim main event. But I guess last week Drake Riggs took the retirement fight of MMA legend Paul Daly as his <laughs> low key banger. So there are no rules to this one. I'm gonna take Randy Brown and Cowboy Oliveira. But that was kind of the definition of a low key banger. I'll give him that because nobody was talking about that fight. Nobody was, was talking about it. Nobody's talking about it because it was on the undercard of a Phil Davis fight. Like, of course, no one's <laughs> still counts. About. Still counts. <laughs> That's no, what Loki means. Talking about not getting Tom talked about. Brown either, and that fight's going to be a sick. So watch that one, kids. <laughs> All right. So obviously, 
the the diamond in the rough discussion was 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 a heavy one last week. Everybody was talking about going back and forth. Drake, Literally. you seem to win in hindsight because your fight was better overall. It just was, it was one of the best oh, yeah. fights of the year so far. The diamond in the rough in your mind heading into Saturday. What's what's the one that everyone needs to watch and nobody's talking about? I'm going to go with the very first fight of the night. Surprise, surprise. The ladies did straw weight. Leong Na taking on Ariane Carnalosi, who if you've seen Carnalosi or you remember Carnalosi from her UFC debut in 2019 against Angela Hill, maybe the tankiest of the straw weights, even more tanky than, uh, you know, Jessica Andrade. This woman is built, just has us. She's just jacked, right? And she's coming back now, taking on welcoming Leong Na to the UFC, who is a very legitimate prospect at 24 years old, out of China, has had some fights in Wulang Fang, I believe, which Jed has not seen before. And you should go do your research, man. Some good action over there as, uh, you know, Leong Na's coming from China and 15 and four record at 24 years old. This girl has finished every single one of her fights, primarily, you know, a grappler and going against Colonel Aussie, who just packs a lot of heat. And we saw in that Angela Hill fight that she got some off on Angela, but ultimately the movement and the speed was a little bit too much. And that fight ended by Dr. Stoppage. So who knows if she didn't get cut in that one, how much crazier it could have been. But in this fight, a little bit of a contrast in styles. And if you want to look at some ridiculousness, Leong Na, it's 5'9", at strawweight, formerly a flyweight, dropping down. Uh, this is her third fight at strawweight, taking on Carnalosi, who is 5'2". So this is going to look like Jed's favorite thing, a circus act going on in there. It should be plenty of fun. Leong Na is very legit. Uh, you know, was supposed to be in the UFC sooner, but she turned it down because she felt like she wasn't ready. So now she's here. I expect, you know, to see some good things from her and Carnalosi's back and probably eager to get in there after the break that she's had. So can't go wrong with the strawweight division, especially on, on a card that has the title fight going on too. That's a motivation. Jed, do you have something to say? <laughs> No, I guess I'm not going to talk trash about women I've never seen fight, but like, I think we all know, I will, I will refute that he clearly won last week. Degree of difficulty needs to factor in here. Like if you just do a regular dive into the pool versus me doing a triple backflip, one of those is way harder to pull off. And I was clearly much closer to success than failure with that. So I dispute that he wants to watch that fight cool it's gonna be at like 5 a.m because this is another fight card with like 17 fights and that's gonna be hard to watch 12 hours of ufc but sure go with that if you want to we all know that the actual banger i'm gonna take his cheap way of doing it i'm gonna pick the obvious low-hanging fruit because you reward that on this show mike you're bringing me down to his level <laughs> all right well, listen, with that being said, we have we, we've gone a little bit over time here, but this is fun. I just realized it's flying by. I didn't realize it's uh, 715 on the East Coast here. But uh, listen, I'm, I'm not going to make this all dramatic. We're going to the knockout round. Jed's getting the point. We're all tied up. No one is surprised by this. If you've watched, give me the drum roll. Jed Mishu, <laughs> hey. All right. Can I get the dog in there? Ah, hey. Puppy. There's a puppy. Yeah. Vote for There's me. Vote for me. All right. All right. So I mean, for, those, for those of you who watch the show for 47 consecutive episodes, you knew this was going to happen. We're going to the knockaround. It basically means like the first four questions are just fun to debate, but it doesn't matter what anybody says because it all comes down to the last round because I will not award a winner. 
<laughs> so each of these generators are going to have one minute to answer the mystery question. They have no idea what it is. Once that has been completed, we will then turn it over to Casey Lydon, our judge, jury, and executive producer. He will render the final decision. And with that, Drake Riggs, you are the champion. Okay, this is not a tricky question. You're both going to get the same question. So would you like to answer this question first, or would you like to exercise the champion's prerogative and pass it on over to Jed Mishu. We'll pass it on to the challenger. All right, Jed Mishu, taking that underdog role, trying to reclaim that title. Here's the question. Yes, Jed Mishu, when we talked about it for the last two questions, the UFC is back in front of a sold-out crowd on Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida. Three title fights, some low-key bangers. It's a big deal. But, Jed Mishu, tomorrow night... It's the return of the Professional Fighters League. The PFL is back for the first time since New Year's Eve 2019. So my question is, what do you need to see from the Professional Fighters League in the year of our Lord 2021 with the in-cage product after a very interesting offseason, free agent signings, what do they need to do to get back in the hunt to make things exciting in your opinion, we have one minute on the clock. What can the PFL do in 2021 to get back in the mix? Your time starts now. I think they're setting themselves up really well for this year, honestly. And I do not give praise to the PFL often. Like they they have made a couple of key acquisitions. And even if these fighters, Anthony Pettis, et cetera, are a little past their prime, maybe they are very recognizable names. They're going to be on ESPN. Like people are just going to tune or scroll and see and go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll watch that. That gives them a foundation to build on. The thing they have to do more than anything is be consistent this year. I know last year COVID threw a lot of people for a loop. And honestly, you could probably give PFL a lot of credit for taking the correct safe answer which was just not do anything but that's backfired on them pretty hard because their fighters semi-revolted everybody's unhappy and we all just lost their lost them in the conscious for for x amount of time now they're back they need to be consistent they need to be on television because they got more to compete with it with one on tnt they need to be doing cards consistently and just deliver a good product because they do have a good product all right yeah in, in radio terms, Jed, you hit the you hit the post. You hit the post right at the zero mark. Right when the right when the music ended, you you came out. So kudos to I you. I know we're running low on time. I'm trying to be good about it. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Drake. PFL back tomorrow night. First card since New Year's Eve 2019. What do you need to see from them for them to be back in the hunt? They had a lot of momentum coming out of the 2018 season. 2019, they lost a little gusto. 2020, I think they did the best they could with what they had, especially at the free agent acquisitions. But what can they do with the in-cage product in 2020, 2021, excuse me, to make things very, very interesting in the current landscape of mixed martial arts? One minute on the clock. Your time starts right now. Uh, I think that they just have to make kind of this format a lot more digestible or maybe understandable to some people because from an outside perspective, a casual viewer who's just seeing the PFL for the very first time, it can be a little bit confusing. Like if you've seen UFC, let's say the UFC casual has seen it, they go into the PFL like what there's 
points that aren't just a part of like judging and scoring. It's actually you get points for your win and whatnot. Make it a little bit more understandable. And on top of that, really sell your stars that you have. You got Anthony Pettis now. You got Kayla Harrison still. You got Clarissa Shields, Rory McDonald. The list goes on and on. And just make sure that they're in the forefront. Get the recognizable names out there, assuming that they hopefully do well. You got Anthony Pettis on this very first card. Really highlight this guy that you have him now while making everything understandable what's going on and you know if if you're gonna sell your guys you already have have done very well as well like lance palmer hopefully they put on exciting fights because you know lance palmer is not too good at that okay there we go drake riggs right near damn near hitting the post in his own right so there you go i wish you guys could see what i'm actually what my setup actually looks like right now in my parents empty house it is ridiculous maybe i'll take a picture and and send it on over. I am not happy about it. But as the votes start to, to toll in from the live studio audience, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, just a reminder, we got the great Jose Youngs, also in Jacksonville, providing coverage. We will have your weigh-in show tomorrow, noon Eastern time, I believe. Or am I wrong about that? We're going super early. That's right, because we're in Florida. I don't even know what time. Right, yeah. Drake, you would know. What time are we going? Uh, nine? Uh, I, yeah, should be nine. 9 a.m. So we'll see you for the weigh-in show at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time till 11. And then, of course, we'll have your preview show. Saturday, we'll have... I mean, obviously, we got PFL on Friday. And then Saturday, we'll have the pre-fight show, which I believe goes on. And we're going to do an extra an extra 30 minutes. We're going to go an hour before the first fight. Then we'll watch the card. We'll have the post-fight interviews. We'll do the post-fight show. On to the next one on Sunday. Lots of stuff to uh, to get to. So I wasted enough time. It is time to turn it over to the man who makes the final decision. And I'm glad it's not me. After five rounds of action, we go to Casey Lydon's scorecard for the decision. Casey, who is the champion? <laughs> it was a, it was just some, a fabulous competition. But someone must win, someone must lose. All right. Okay. Your winner. And new Jed Mishu. Oh, man. Wow. Justice. Justice. Yes. All right, Casey, can, can you explain the ruling here? Because last week you had a... You had a ruling. You explained your decision. You kind of, uh, kind of exercised with that decision for a few days. Why? Why is uh, why is Jed Mishu the champion, and why are we going to get a trilogy fight? <laughs> I love rematches, and it, it, it was it was a bit of a makeup call. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'll take them. I love makeup calls when they're my favorite. Look, collusion. We, we can have the trilogy. I'm very down for that. And frankly, you're lucky that I won because Jacksonville is not that far away from me. And if you had robbed me twice in a row, we would have been having the trilogy in, in the parking lot of the Vice Star Arena. That's, that's really the <laughs> Set it up, Triller. Set it up, Triller. Let's go. There you go. There you go. Maybe we could do uh, some fight circus action. It's got to be something you guys yeah, can do. Yeah. I mean, All right, Jed, you're the, the winner. You have a fight switch. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I know those people. All right, Jed, 30 seconds, my man. What do you got to say? 
two things. One, I am astonished and shocked that we didn't talk about one championship. Not because I care about one championship, but because uh, Johnny Line Dancer did the damn thing last night, and that was awesome. So, John Lineker, keep throwing them hands, baby. Uh, and number two, previous week, I called out Sean Alshadi. Obviously, I got a trilogy match, so I can't be can't be dealing with Sean right now. However, <laughs> if you like MMA, if you like reading good writing, Sean dropped an article this week. It's called, I was afraid to walk to the cage more than I ever was for any fight. Inside the early days of women in MMA, it is awesome. One of the best pieces written um, in, in at least a month or two. And I highly encourage all of you to check it out because it's really good. And it, it should make you think if you haven't thought about this kind of topic already. Yes, it is a great piece. I will recommend that as well. Uh, Drake, any last words? I mean, you are going to be back next week, hopefully, if your schedule allows it for the trilogy fight. And then I'll, I'll make a... A little, uh, I'll put a little tease down for episode 50, but uh, what do you want to say, Mr. Uh, Mr. Drake Riggs? It was a, a fine effort once again. Yeah, it was fun, you guys. Um, I'm hungry. I'm very hungry. I'm going to get some food after this. <laughs> uh, it was all, all worth it, though. You know, good, friendly competition. Lost the title, but this is what champions are made of. You get to see me try and rebound then another time in a trilogy fight. So... No, uh, just stay tuned to SCMP MMA for some coverage here at UFC 261 and, uh, of course, MMA fighting as well. But, um, yeah, just got this stuff going on here this week. So, I don't know. I'm pretty exhausted. I can't plug very well right now. But thanks for having me again, you guys. The champ's got to defend. <laughs> yeah, we took we, we took whatever energy levels he had left. But oh, next yeah. week's episode 49. Woo, that's going to be fun. The trilogy fight and then ex- episode 50. We're going to mix things up in a big way. We got some cool things in the works for the 50th episode. And uh, with a win for Drake Riggs, he might find himself in the mix of that epic 50th episode. But until then, we're getting out of here. For Drake Riggs, for Jed Mishu, for Casey on the ones and twos and the judging, I am Mike Heck. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the fights this week, and we'll see you back here once again next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. This is Esterlin. You've been watching Between the Links, a MMA fighting show. Um, I should have written this down. My name is Esterlin. Thanks for watching. Click the subscribe button. Happy birthday, AK. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Anthropic. 